Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar, news and thought-provoking discussions for today's emergency medical service provider. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consultant. Now, your host for today's podcast, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to have so many of you joining us this morning for this morning's session. I appreciate you being here. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm from the client services team here at QuickMed Claims. And joining me is my esteemed, uh, underlined, bold print, esteemed colleague, Chuck Humphrey. Good morning, Chuck. Hello, Gary. How are you? Great. Chuck, we've got a, a great group of people here today. Uh, looks like we're pushing 40 here, uh, and they're from about, 18 different states that I can see. So you're, oh, covering, you're covering a lot of, lot of ground here this morning. And this is a top uh, hot item as, as we've come to know over the past several months. So Chuck, uh, we've got right. a great group here today. As I mentioned, we've got a number of people who are here um, who mm -hmm. are in the first round of cost data collection. And today's presentation is really talking about the recording instrument where you're gonna it's going to be your warehouse for all the information that you're going to be collecting over the year and we hope that today's presentation will bring some light and lessen the confusion because there is some confusion out there about the data collection instrument so given that without any further ado let me uh introduce my colleague to you chuck humphrey chuck's with the business development team uh, i'm in pittsburgh chuck's up north in danville uh, I'm guessing it's not balmy and 80 degrees up there, Chuck, but I'll turn it over to you and it's all your program. All right. Well, no, it was about 10 above this morning on my drive in from work. Um, so two quick disclaimers. One is, as you know, Gary, I'm just getting over a round of pneumonia. So if I sound a little gravelly and or I mute every now and then, take a drink, I'll ask everyone to forgive me. Um, I'm, I'm thankfully on the other side of it, but my voice might be just a little bit scratchy, so I'll apologize right up front. Second thing is, I just wanna to say to everybody, you know, the idea of today is we really could take about a half an hour to an hour a piece on all of these sections, and uh, probably then even not do it justice. So we're gonna go through uh, some of this rather quickly. The idea of today is to just call your attention to the uh, tool and go over some of the uh, high points, uh, certainly not meant to be an end all, but to, um, to give you an idea of what to expect when you go online uh, next year um, and fill this out. So we'll touch on uh, quite a few of these topics. And again, like Gary said, feel free to throw some questions over. We'll try to answer them best we can. So by now, um, you've, if you have been chosen for the first round, you've received a notification letter and or an email from the Medicare administrative contractor. That should have happened in December. There is a published list of those who are on the first round. So if you're not sure, you haven't received anything, double check that list um, that is on the CMS website. Um, and I just want to throw up here real quick, right from the uh, FAQ section of the CMS site, um, just give me an idea. So if you um, uh, received the notification and then you went out, you should have by now reported what period you're going to be reporting on. This is the, um, how your uh, reporting will go. So if you told them you were gonna report on a calendar year, uh, this year from January 1 to December 31, then as soon as 1-1-2021 comes around, you will have five months 
to complete the reporting. And you can see there, so you have from 1-1-2021 through May 31st, 2021. If you miss that May 31st deadline, then the clock will start ticking for uh, the penalty uh, that will be assessed if you don't report, which will be a 10% penalty from your Medicare. But if you chose other periods, like some organizations have not, uh, so if your um, uh, reporting period, uh, fiscal reporting period is say June 1 to May 31st, um, and the way it would go is as of the last day of your reporting period, that next day starts the clock ticking on the five months. So if you told them you were gonna go from June to May, you would then have from June through the end of October of next year to report. If you told them you're gonna do a July to June reporting period, which many of the fiscal year cycles are on, you would then have from July 1st, 2021 until the end of November to report. Um, some people do uh, August to July. So then you would have from August, 2021 through the end of 2020 to report. And then finally, if you do an October to September, uh, you would have from October 2021 through the end of February in 2022. So if you have reported you're going to do anything other than a calendar year, uh, just do keep in mind there is that five-month period that you have to report. And remember, you can start the report, then go back and uh, add things so it's not like you have to sit down in all one sitting. Uh, the government is telling us they estimate 20 hours to collect the data, three hours to do the tool. I think they're probably dreaming. But um, nonetheless, uh, that's what they're telling us. But that doesn't mean you have to sit down some Saturday for three straight hours and plow through this thing. And more than likely, as you go through it, you're going to see things that you need to go back, recalculate, regather. Uh, something's going to throw you for a loop. I can guarantee you that as we go through, you'll see that. And uh, so, you know, you can do this uh, over that five-month period in nice bite-sized chunks. So what is your plan? By now, I hope you have a plan. So the big thing is who in your organization is assigned to collect the data and then eventually report. You do have to tell CMS on the reporting who is going to be the contact when you start the uh, tool. So you need to uh, identify who, you know, it can be several people, but you need to name one person that's going to be that point person. Uh, what outside entities do I need to inform and include? You know, I don't know your organization. If you're a municipal, you might have to get City Hall involved. Um, you know, if you're uh, part of a, a larger, say, a hospital corporation or an air medical, uh, and that's your parent company, uh, who are you getting involved at the top? Uh, you need to decide that pretty quickly. I would decide that right away uh, because you need to get those people looped in. Outside contractors, uh, subcontractors, those uh, uh, your consultants, um, you know, anybody that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis that's going to be able to provide you with information. Uh, do we need to bring in an outside consultant to do the data collection um, and help you prepare for this? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but you should be asking that now. Is this something that we can handle on our own or do we need help with this? And then finally, um, I just list here a bullet point. How can I collect and store this data over the next year? You know, you want to do this in bite-sized morsels. That's it's kind of a funny way to put it, but you know, um, I would think that you want to try to label these things, collect them, have an ongoing um, method for you to retrieve them, whether that be on, you know, some kind of digital uh, collection or, you know, if you're old fashioned like Gary and I, a file somewhere or whatever the case may be, you have to have a method for, for bringing all this together. And then how are you going to analyze and make the computations? Are you going to use a software package? 
again, are you going to work with somebody else or are you going to try to, to go alone? And I think it depends on the size and the nature of your organization and how you do your business. And then how are you going to ready it all at the end of the year for retrieval so you can get it into the tool? Now, remember, there's one tool for reporting. There are other tools out there that you can collect the data and use, but there's only one tool for reporting, and that's the RAND Corporation tool that was contracted by CMS in order to take care of this. It is not live yet. Uh, it will not be live until probably either the end of this year or early next year, uh, more than likely um, not live until early next year. They don't want anybody messing around with it. And you know, re remember that we've talked about in other presentations, they're probably gonna make a few tweaks based on some of the feedback that they get. Um, so it is not ready to go just yet. So let's dig right in and we'll start section by section. Um, to get started, you know, your first section is gonna be just simply uh, providing your information, who you are, your NPI uh, will populate, and then that will lead to section two, which uh, kind of is important right off the bat because what you answer as your organizational characteristics will then populate the fields that you're gonna have to answer later. So for example, if you say that you're a non-emergency ambulance, you don't do any 911s, then no 911 questions will pop up. Or likewise, if you say you're in all 911, you don't do any non-emergency transports, then you'll not receive any questions about non-emergency. So you wanna get this part right, because if you don't quite get it correct, then you're gonna have questions out there you're not gonna be able to answer, and that's just gonna mess everything up. So you're gonna list your national provider identifier, um, do you have more than one NPI that's billed to Medicare for the period? They're going to ask you that, even though only one NPI is reported at a time. They're going to, they're going to ask about your overall organization. Uh, who is the organization and a person completing the report? They do want to know that, your reporting period, obviously. Um, they're going to ask you to label your organization uh, as one is for uh, organization types, ownership types. So they're going to ask you, are you a for-profit? Are you a nonprofit that isn't a government entity? Are you a government ambulance, ground ambulance service, federal, state, county, township, other municipal ownership? Or are you some kind of public-private partnership? And so those are the four categories that you'll need to answer and that whether or not you fall into those buckets. From there, they're gonna ask you if you have any volunteer labor. That will populate volunteer questions later. Uh, they're gonna ask you about your labor. The labor section, when we get to it, I gotta tell you, that is an animal all its own. I think it's gonna be the hardest section that any of us have to answer. Um, and they are even promising to do a webinar on just that. They have not come out with that yet. In fact, guys, I gotta tell you, there has been no update since December 4th on the uh, FAQ page. Uh, I think the holidays kind of just upended all of this. So there's more to follow. And the last the webinar, CMS webinar that I set in on, uh, did promise more to come. But I think the holiday period has just kind of put the ice on things. So we should see some updates coming up fairly soon. Once you answer those questions, I'm just going to ask you what category best fits your ground ambulance operation. And those buckets are, are you fire department based? Are you a police or other public safety department-based organization? Are you a government standalone emergency medical service agency? Next, they'll ask if you're a hospital or other Medicare provider of services, and they list examples such as uh, connected with a skilled 
nursing facility, hospital, those kind of things. And uh, there actually is a, a list that they provide as reference uh, that you can go to to take a look at the, the different organizations that they're interested in surveying. Next, they'll ask you if you're independent or a proprietary organization, primarily providing EMS services. The following question is almost the same, but with a twist. Are you an independent or proprietary organization primarily providing non-emergency services? So they want to weed out the emergency versus non, and again, it'll populate future questions. And then they allow for an other, and there's going to be a text area box that you can explain what that other is to you. So you want to go in a little bit of detail. If you don't fall, you feel into any one of those five or six different categories. And then the following questions around out that um, part of things is going to be, uh, are you sharing responsibilities uh, outside of the grand, ground ambulance realm? And uh, this gets a little in the weeds. I won't go too deep, but um, so they're asking, are, you know, if you're a fire department, uh, are you sharing operational um, and, and, and those kind of costs? Um, if you're police, and this is going to start populating your questions about how much money you spend on ground ambulance versus those others. It'll start populating out in the tool later on uh, about how you're sharing administrative costs, facility costs. Uh, so this is going to lay the groundwork then uh, for the uh, ensuing questions. Continuing on, are you a 911 service? And later they're going to ask you, are you around the clock 24 7, 365 service? So that again will lead to more questions about that, that realm. Uh, are you a land provider? Just a yes, no question. Are you a water provider? Yes, no question. Remember again, we talked about this in, in a previous uh, um, uh, presentation that we did. Water ambulances are included in this reporting, air is not water is. So you're going to reporting on your response numbers for land and water. Air is not included in this um, survey. Uh, but again, in the water, just a caution, those of you that do water rescue, this is not that. It is water ambulance. Okay? So there are a few of them. Uh, we actually have a client that we serve that has a water ambulance. So we're familiar with that here at Quick Met Claims. Uh, but this is not water rescue. So if you you know, you're connected with a fire department, you have a boat that does rescue, but you're not transporting patients per se in a actual licensed water ambulance as defined by your state, uh, regional or local protocol, then that would not be included. And then to round out this section, they're gonna ask you about staff deployment as to whether or not you are fall into one of three buckets. Are you a static deployment where you have the same number of fully staffed ambulance units available no matter of the time or day? Or are you a dynamic deployment organization where the unit numbers vary depending on the time of day, day of week? And then they're going to ask you if you're combined deployment. So certain times of day, you have a fixed number. Other times, it's the dynamic based on your uh, operational protocols. And those kind of things. So, you know, here's where you got to start thinking ahead about how you're going to label yourself. And then finally, they're going to ask you some questions about intercepts. Now, this can be a little tricky. Most of us think about intercepts in a broad realm. So we think about paramedic from one organization assisting or upgrading uh, a BLS crew or another organization. Remember here, when you're thinking about this, if you're in New York State, you're really the only state 
that has an ALS intercept in the eyes of CMS. So that is in a rural area where you serve fire departments who cannot bill by New York State statute. That's what CMS calls an intercept. The ensuing question are, is for the rest of us in the, the other 49 states plus the territories, and that is, do you operate an ALS joint response staff that goes out and assists other units? So when you're thinking about your organization, if you're not in New York State, you're going to answer no to the intercept question, and you're going to answer yes if you're providing intercepts on a uh, ground ambulance where the paramedic will hop off and assist another organization. So just remember, that's a key kind of little quirk that I can see people answering incorrectly because we all kind of think of intercepts as global and their definition is a little different. Okay, let's move over to section three. And here's where we're gonna talk about your service area. Now they're gonna ask for your primary and secondary service areas primary being where you most likely are dispatched as the first responding entity into that geographic location. And then they're gonna ask you about your average trip time, which they are defining as out of station and then ready to go. So your average trip time will be from alert, putting the garage door up, heading out on the tarmac, to when you return and you're back and you're ready to go. And that doesn't mean return to station, it means return to readiness. So, you know, you might be in a jurisdiction where you're posting those kind of things. Uh, so we're gonna ask for that average trip time. Um, the um, subject came up in the last um, CMS webinar about the use of zip codes to determine primary and secondary. You can't use the same zip code for both areas and yet, there are those of us who respond outside of our primary area into mutual aid response areas where the zip code is the same. So you might be, uh, let's say, an inner city uh, organization who goes out into a surrounding township, and that ends up being the same zip code. So they're going to work on that. They asked, CMS didn't have an answer for that when they were questioned. Um, they've not yet clarified how they're going to handle that, but something's going to have to change in the reporting tool if they're not allowing the same zip code to report in primary as they are in secondary. So stay, stay tuned for that. It's something that you, know, you need to anticipate you're gonna come up with, but for now, um, and you probably already know this obviously, uh, determine what your primary versus secondary response area is and know that going in that you're gonna to have to look at that. Next up, we're going to be looking at the emergency response time. Now, first off, if you are a, provider that or supplier that does not uh, respond to 911 emergency ambulance responses, then you won't even have this section, okay? And the definition here for emergency is the CMS definition. So it is a 911 or equivalent call in areas without 911, and I don't think we have too many of them across the country anymore, uh, where the ambulance uh, provider or supplier takes the necessary steps to respond to the incident, to the alert as quickly as possible. That's the CMS definition. So if you are not a 911 service and you do not respond to calls in an immediate response, then you would be answering no to that a few sections back and then this area would not even populate. But if you have answered yes, 
then you are going to uh, be asked to uh, answer these questions about your emergency response time. So the question that I would ask right now and start gathering is, first of all, can, I, can we even report on those stats? It's gonna ask you that. Can you report your statistics um, for your emergency response times across your primary versus secondary area? And for response time here, we're talking about alert to the first vehicle on scene. So in this case, that could be the ground ambulance or it could be your organization who has, let's say you have fly cars or you're responding with an engine. They're looking at response time even outside of the ground ambulance target. And they're asking you, how long does it take for you to go from alert to arriving on scene with somebody who's gonna provide the first level of care? Uh, so that's something you're gonna have to start computing if you're not doing already. Um, following on this in this section, they're gonna ask you two questions. What is your average time per call, per response, and what is your 90th percentile time? Now, your average time formula is going to be computed by taking all of your responses in that year and totaling them up and divide them by the number of runs. That sounds simple. If you're a large organization, it can be a little bit of a calculation nightmare. So. Uh, again, here's where are you going to involve some software that's going to crunch these numbers? Uh, how are you uh, tracking this now? If it's not something you're tracking, you're going to have to be prepared to do that. And then your 90th percentile time, they're looking for the times that are atypical or your longest time. So this, in theory, would be 10. Let's, let's give an example. So you do 10 runs a year. Um, you line them all up in a row, and the number 10th highest time would be your 90th percentile response time. So let's say you have 10 runs and uh, nine of them are all five minutes and the 10th one is eight minutes, then your 90th percentile time would be eight minutes. Now that's easy with 10 runs, not so easy for 10,000, okay? So again, something, you're, and I don't know that, um, I don't, Gary, I, I don't remember seeing that as something in my history over 30 years that I ever, looked at, computed, maybe somebody does. I just, it's not in my my wheelhouse, but uh, but it is something that you, you will need to report. I agree, Chuck. And then they'll ask you, um, do you, are you incentivized to meet response times? And then as a companion question, do you receive a penalty of some sort for not meeting those? Here they're looking at the contracted entities, uh, say you're a private service that provides 911 coverage in the city and you're contracted with the city, um, do you receive some kind of monetary or other incentive for meeting response time targets? And then they're going to ask you who determines uh, that target. And so you're going to be asked if uh, your organization sets those times, if there's some municipality or a county body or somebody else, and then you're asked to define who does that? By the way, also in reporting your times, they're going to ask for it in buckets. So you're going to label your response times on these average times, 90th percentile, in buckets of less than 30, 30 to 60 minutes, 61 to 90, 91 to 120 minutes, 121 to 150, and more than 150 minutes. So they're giving you some broad stroke brushes here uh, for you. Um, to report on those uh, those various items. 
So again, you won't even see that if you're not a, an emergency provider. You'll only see that if you are an emergency provider. And then next you're gonna ask, uh, um, you're gonna look at your service volume. So how many total responses do you have? And they're gonna ask you for just the NPI you're reporting on, but they're gonna also gonna ask you for the total. And then they're gonna ask you to break it down even further. What are your ground ambulance response numbers? They're really digging into these numbers. They want to, remember, Congress wants to understand why they should tweak the fee schedule. Why are we paying you what we're paying you? Trying to get, and, and, and what I appreciate about this process, I think we talked about earlier, there are organizations, state organizations, especially the American Ambulance Association, that's had an enormous amount of input. And you can see that throughout. I can't imagine that CMS would have ever come up with some of these categories by themselves. So there's some great input by the stakeholders here. And it's why we're really encouraging you all to make sure that you provide the most uh, relevant data uh, because this is a slam dunk for us if we get it right. Uh, and hopefully it will uh, have ramifications on the fee schedule that will only help to make our case of why it costs us so much to run EMS in, in, in the United States. They're gonna ask you for the number of standby events that you do, if you do them. They're gonna ask you if you work with another non-transporting agency. So are you working together in concert with a fire department, with a fly car organization? Um, whatever the case may be. They're gonna ask you how many responses you didn't transport on. So you're gonna keep a tab on that. Um, maybe you don't bill for treat no transport, so you don't even tally those. We're gonna look for that. So, you know, this is something that I can see you guys pulling from, you know, your 911 CAD uh, info. And you know, I'm gonna loop back and say that, we'll probably say this a couple times. Um, remember, we caution you guys from the outset of starting to talk about this. While we'll help, and we'll talk about those areas where we can help here at your billing organization, this is definitely something that the no billing company is gonna be able to help you with in total. Uh, you're gonna to have to gain information from a lot of different sources because it involves data that doesn't just involve billing. And another thing I wanna caution you to loop back and remind you of is because it's a CMS, this isn't just Medicare numbers. This is all of your responses, all of your different payer types, even outside of what you get paid on. So just don't forget that, uh, you know, I can see people thinking, okay, I'm just gonna tally my Medicare numbers. It's not the case here. And then what is your total number? If you have a parent organization, all MPIs, if you're a multiple M MPI organization, you have different subcategories of uh, service levels. And then again, we're back to the intercept question. They're keying on this, they wanna understand this. I think it's because they haven't understand it for quite, understood it for quite some time. Uh, so they're gonna look at New York State plus ALS interventions, joint responses. You're gonna see that question populate out in a couple different areas. Um, and, and again, here's where your stakeholder input came in, because I can't imagine CMS gave this another thought other than knowing that they have a code in New York State. So um, kudos to those that had input here, because this is, this is part of the cost uh, uh, scenario, and it's certainly something that um, isn't always looked at very easily. Next section, they're gonna ask you for service mix. So they're gonna ask you for your percentage here. Now we're into percentages. A lot of the questions are full numbers, others are percentages. Here they're gonna ask you for what your emergency versus non-emergency percentage is. Uh, of course, if you don't do emergencies, then you're gonna be 100% non and vice versa. And again, the CMS definition for emergency applies here. 
If you have a water element, what's your land versus water percentage? And then I'm gonna ask you level of service questions. Now we just did a webinar on this earlier in the week, Gary, and uh, it's up there. I, I encourage everybody to go out and talk about uh, and take a look at this. Um, this is where you're gonna report uh, how your runs sift out across the various uh, buckets that we use here in the building company. This is something we look at a lot. So you have two ALS levels, ALS1 and ALS2. In the ALS1 category, remember too, you're gonna have a mix, ALS1 emergencies, ALS1 non-emergencies. ALS2s, then your BLS level. BLS emergency, BLS non, and then your specialty care transports or your SCTs. Now, uh, the definition that they'll use for these is gonna default to your state, regional, local definitions of what these are, and these can change and vary across jurisdictions. So, for example, here in Pennsylvania, right now, uh, we, if we start an IV, we get an intermediate or the paramedic level, that's an ALS level. Drive down to Maryland and Virginia, and starting an IV is not going to be an ALS level skill. In certain jurisdictions, state delineations, get down on the weeds on that, I could spend a whole uh, webinar on that alone. But so you're going to, you know, be aware of what you consider to be an AI. And this is something that your building company can help you with because we monitor these definitions all the time. So obviously we need to know that. So we build uh, your runs correctly. And then we're going to ask you what percentage of all those runs that you just reported are inner facility in nature. Originate at one facility, arrive and drop off at another facility. So they're very interested in that. And obviously that figures into the whole uh, pair mix and costs uh, reporting. Now we get into the dreaded section seven. And guys, I gotta tell you, I have read this, I've reread it, I've looked at it, I've crunched it. Um, some of these things will make your head spin. And I'm not trying to scare you, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this section. So I, I'm not even purporting to have a full handle on this myself. Um, we've looked at them. I'm going to give you some of the things that I think you need to be aware of. I, they have committed CMS to doing a separate webinar on this all together. I think that's a great idea. This is probably going to where you spend most of your time, especially those of you that have a more complicated system. Um, if you're all volunteers, it might be a little easier, but you also got to think about volunteers figuring into labor, quote unquote, costs. So it is something you have to uh, deal with. You can't just say, well, we don't pay people, so I don't have to do the section. That's, that's not the case. So one of the first things I'm going to call uh, to your remembrances as you do this, um, they are the guidance given is that you always want to default an individual to their street duties and their primary activity. So for example, if you have an EMT, and later you'll be asked to report on this times numbers uh, that also shares their time doing administrative duty, duties, QAQI, rides on the fire engine as a firefighter, whatever the case may be. They want you to default that person to their ground ambulance street duties as much as possible. Now that gets more complicated, but I'm just going to throw that warning out up front because they issue this kind of guidance a couple different places. They talked about it. You, you really can't report a person in more than one category. You'll be able to list their percentage of duties, 
but you will not be able to report them more than once in their primary area. So your default's gonna be how much does that person spend their time on the ground ambulance, and that's gonna be your, um, your default. They will then ask you questions about staffing categories, and um, that'll be defined again by your jurisdiction and how you define those people that uh, are part of your organization. And so you are going to get a number of um, questions about various persons and how they land into what we would call their duty bucket. And so they will give you uh, definitions for people and how they are category, categorized by the role that they play in your organization. So be they EMT basic, EMT intermediate, paramedics, nurses, doctors, emergency medical responders, ambulance drivers, uh, medical directors, administrative staff, uh, management people, dispatcher call center people, vehicle maintenance and facility people, and then there's another category. There's always that other category because you're going to have some persons that fall outside of the usual um, black and white here. So um, the other part of this will be is if um, that person changes job categories in the middle of the reporting period. They want you to label that person and place them in the reporting bucket for how they started their year. So if they started as an EMT basic, and then later they got their paramedic certification and they moved up in their uh, service level, you're still gonna list them in the basic category because that's how they started the year. If they started out on the street providing care on the ambulance, and you promoted them and now they are in a, some kind of office or administrative role, you're still gonna list them as being the street basic or the street paramedic. So it's, it's one of the things that they had to just draw a line, there would be too much changing and then that would throw the numbers. So they're asking you to report them as where they started that year. So um, what I would suggest you guys do is freeze your uh, rosters in time right now record as a 1-1-2020, if that's your reporting period or if you're reporting starting in July or whatever the case may be, uh, first day of the year, where did everybody fall? And that's how you're going to list those folks. So just keep that in mind that you need to report where they began. And then if it turns out that a person doesn't fall in any of those buckets, you're actually gonna have to answer a why question. Why didn't Joe fall into any one of the above buckets. And so they will ask you uh, a few questions uh, just to qualify why you had any one or group of people who didn't fall into uh, any one of their pre-packaged buckets. So again, this involves a little bit of history record um, of how people change their duties and move in and out of roles as the year moves along, which is really, to me, is part of EMS, something that's very fluid. People change roles in, uh, in organizations all the time. People come, people go, uh, so you're going to need to keep track of that. And if people leave at the end of the year, you're going to remember where that person was when they began. 11 months ago is a long time in the EMS world, for sure. 
And then they're going to ask you about your paid compensation. Of course, if you don't have any paid people, then this section won't apply. But if you do, um, Section 7, you're going to have to answer whether, yes, you have paid people. And then if so, they're going to ask you for total dollars. Now, this is just not salary and wages. It's everything. It's going to ask you to report how much did you spend during this period on your paid staff, salary and wages, overtime, standby pay, healthcare benefits, paid time off, and anything else that you pay out to a uh, career or salary or per diem paid personnel. Um, then they will ask you a response staff category. So they're gonna get a little more drill in and they have provided basically 11 distinct roles that are gonna ask you for uh, total hours. They're gonna ask you for just the ground ambulance total. And then they're gonna ask you what was it related to ground ambulance. Remember too, in a lot of these sections, your check and balance system will be, okay, so if you have um, 1,000 hours for uh, total hours and you have 500 for ground ambulance, and obviously you have to have 500 for not related to ground ambulance. Uh, so some of these you're going to have to make sure that the areas check uh, in and out. And um, I haven't seen, obviously, the tool's not up and running. My guess will be is that it will spit at you and throw an error message if some of these areas don't total, like the percentages, if they don't come up to 100%. You're going to have to explain that, probably go back and redo. So be prepared for that. Check your math before you go in. And then also they're going to ask you paid versus volunteer hours. Uh, if you have volunteers, and again, back in Section 2, if you answered that you do have volunteer staff versus paid, it will populate the volunteer questions for you. If not, then you shouldn't see any volunteer questions. And then your buckets are um, interesting uh, so they're saying uh, report on EMT basics without fire, report on EMT basics with fire, police, public safety involvement, EMT intermediates without fire, police, or public safety, EMT eyes with public. So you can tell each category is asked that. Then they're asking for nurse, doctors, or other medical staff that also have a public safety role, nurse, doctors, or others that don't, emergency medical responders with public safety, not and an ambulance driver. So a little bit of redundancy in the questions across the various parts, uh, but they are asking you to report on compensation, time, volunteer hours, those kind of things. The next session will ask you about your paid administration, facility staff, and medical direction. Okay, so what kind of shared hours first? The first question up is going to be uh, again, we're defaulting to street time response time on the ground ambulance, and then how much of their time is also paid for administrative. Uh, are one or more individual staff members devoting at least half of their time to these functions, billing, data analysis, training, or medical QA? Then when it comes to medical direction, they're gonna ask you whether your medical director is employed directly or contracted. But this was interesting too, uh, and I'll probably hit on but I'm, um, they're making a distinction between the actual medical director and any physicians you have that provide assistance in QAQI and direction. So um, you may have multiple physicians that work together in your, especially if you're a hospital-based organization. So they're looking for that one person who's the medical director and then make a good distinction on time and costs 
for any other physicians that provide guidance but are not medical directors. You may even have free hospital physicians that pull some street time. Um, so if that's the case, they're going to be looking to you to, to pull those costs out. And again, it's a, it's a pertinent question because obviously those individuals are probably going to be paid higher, affects your cost structure, and so they're looking. Chuck, can I just stop you for a quick second here? You bet, absolutely. We're about 45 minutes into this, and I just wanted to check in and see if anybody has any questions. If so, uh, feel free to raise your hand or type the questions in. Well, you can type them in at any time, and then as we go through the breaks here, Chuck will uh, answer them for us. But does anybody okay. have any questions while we stop for just a quick second? Linda R., you have your hand up. Is that from the previous question that I asked, or do you actually have one to ask? Her hand goes down. Oh, there it goes. Hands goes down. So, okay. It was up from the previous one. No worries. All right, Chuck, I don't have any other questions for you. Keep going, my friend. Okay. All right. They're soaking up like a sponge. <laughs> uh, next, we'll talk about volunteer labor, if that's pertinent. So how many people do you have that volunteer? Sheer count. How many hours are they spending? And then uh, what are they spending in time-wise, ground-related versus unrelated? And here they're gonna provide 12 different roles of volunteer staff that they're gonna be looking for you to break out. Um, and again, that's basically uh, EMT basic, EMT intermediate, paramedic, um, and even down to volunteer nurse, doctor time, EMRs, ambulance drivers, kind of similar to the, the previous subsection where, um, you know, do they have fire, public safety, dual roles, uh, not. So um, you're going to have to break those folks out. And this could get a little uh, unique in tracking because, I don't know, in my past volunteer days, uh, we kind of just did everything, you know, until we got to the day where people started having more defined roles. So if you're that kind of maybe a little smaller rural organization where you all come and you all do just about everything, um, somehow you're going to apply some percentages to that kind of look at your time. So you might want to track the time, have some kind of vehicle where, I don't know, people check in and out, or, um, you know, you've got a couple different programs, I am responding, or those kind of things that I'm just throwing out some ideas that maybe you can later pull a report from, people checking in and out, swiping in and out with their fobs. A lot of, you know, organizations don't have keys anymore. They're using electronic entry and exit uh, to track. So those might be things you want to put in place now. Um, not too expensive, but something that, you know, it's affordable that you can track people's uh, comings and goings, or even a you know they just a spreadsheet where they log in when they're when they're doing um, the membership drive as opposed to being out on the truck. How many administration or facility volunteers do you have? Who cleans the station? Who is taking care of the mail? You know, who's checking the, the phone? Whatever the case may be. Do you have a medical director that volunteers his or her hours? If so, here's where you're going to report on that. Um, and then um, do you provide any kind of stipend, honoraria, or a benefit and or other compensation to volunteers? I know a lot of uh, organizations have a uh, some kind of honoraria or, um, you know, um, you do so many calls in a year and you get so much spending uh, credit towards goals to buy, you know, whatever equipment you want to carry on you. Um, there's some that do a very nominal so much per run. Um, so obviously I hope you're tracking that and reporting that as part of your 
uh, tax reporting, obviously, but uh, also now it becomes even more important because, uh, and I can see where this is valid for tracking because it will uh, include in the cost. One of the worries when this all started was um, we all worried that the CMS was not going to include this and they were going to survey some of the larger ambulances and this will change things. Um, so I want to make sure that we capture that. So I think it's great that, uh, that we're going to pull these down. Nexus facility costs. This gets a little more simple, uh, but can get complicated throughout parts. So how many buildings do you operate as part of your organization? You're actually going to have to name, I put name that facility. You're going to have to name your facility in the reporting tool. So as you report out, then once you identify, I mean, this can be as simple as the station, the admin, you know, whatever the case may be, B station, A station, you know, Main Street versus um, Mill Street, whatever the case may be. You're going to name it because later they're going to ask you for percentages of usage. Uh, they're going to ask you questions about mortgage leasing. Uh, and then that brings up the next part. Do you rent or lease or own uh, any uh, one of these buildings? Is there a mortgage? Is there space donated to you? You're going to actually ask you for the square footage that's uh, pertaining to ground ambulance. Um, so you can take a tape measure and measure. Um, one of the good things I saw uh, that they did direct is if you can figure out the percent, let's say you're a fire based and 70% of your station uh, of your responses are fire related and 30% are EMS, then they'll allow you to take the total square footage of your station and let them know that 30% of that total square footage is what you estimate the square footage to be for ground ambulance. That's pretty simple guys, but if you want to measure it out, you can. Um, you just have to keep in mind all the different uses that are pertaining to ground ambulance. Then they're going to ask you about your cost for insurance, maintenance, utilities, you pay any taxes, total costs, and then what percentage is pertaining to ground ambulance. Here's where I think your accountant can help. Um, those kind of things, your uh, uh, financial secretaries, your treasurers, um, those kind of those kind of folks, or City Hall, uh, if there's an ownership municipal, those kind of things. So just some things to think about. Again, bringing those people in the loop and including them so they're not, you know, you're not contacting them on December 29th and saying, hey, guys, by the way, I need this. <laughs> they're going to look at you like you have three heads and probably going to kill you. But Next are vehicle costs. So what is your count of ground ambulances? I don't know why I have trouble saying ground lately. I want to say grand, grand ground, I don't ask. Um, do you own those vehicles? Do you lease them? What are the total miles traveled? Um, that's the question you're going to have to compute over the years, uh, over the years period, um, and then ground versus water, obviously. Again, not air, no worries about air, just ground here. What is your depreciation? Now, this is an accountant question for sure. Um, two possible reporting areas. Uh, do you depreciate based on a tax incentive or do you depreciate based on generally accepted accounting principles or GAAP? Uh, I would think that's an area where your accountant could easily assist you. Um, and it is something that obviously figures into the cost as you report, maybe something you can pull from your, your um, annual tax report, be it a 990 or other uh, reporting for the IRS. And then what are your subcategories by vehicle? 
how many vehicles transport patients? Do you have any vehicles that were donated? What is that depreciation expense? And they even are asking questions about remounts. What was the cost of that remount that you had done this year? You can see the stakeholder involvement there because I doubt that many people outside of our realm know what a remount is, uh, let alone somebody at CMS. So uh, interesting that included that, but certainly is a cost and it's separate from buying a vehicle, it's separate from leasing a vehicle. Uh, it's a unique kind of EMS type of thing. What other vehicles do you have? How many of those other vehicles support ground ambulance operations? So you may have a fire that goes out and a rescue engine, um, water rescue vehicles, water rescue here, not water ambulance. Here's where you're gonna report on the water rescue support. Do you have quick response vehicles, fly cars, squads, uh, whatever your term is. So you're going to have to list the vehicle type and then also try to apply a percentage of how those vehicles contribute to the ground ambulance mission. What are the total miles traveled for those other vehicles? And again, depreciation costs. And are there any donated vehicles that are part of that motor pool? And what is the percentage of share that the other vehicles are related to the ground ambulance mission. So always looking back to how they apply and then calculation will be a percentage of cost that figure in that are not directly ground ambulance vehicles. Of course, with vehicles, we have registration and license costs we need to report, uh, ground versus non-ground ambulance in those categories, total insurance, total maintenance, total fuel. And then they're also asking what are the total costs attributed to the parent organization uh, versus just the MPI? So you're gonna report just for the entity you're reporting on, the MPI, but as part of this section, they're gonna also ask you for your total costs for the entire organization if there are multiple MPIs. That's gonna involve a little work, uh, and it's not specific to just what you're reporting on uh, in a narrow scope. Uh, so. You know, this involves your um, governing bodies, it involves, you know, your administrative people, your large organization across multiple states or multiple uh, entities, you're going to have to report that total number. Chuck, I have a question, if you don't mind me interrupting. No, not at all. This is relative to building costs, this comes from our good friend in New Jersey. Are the building costs, i.e. utilities, insurance, lease costs, et cetera, broken down by each building? or are they reported in totality? Uh, both. As I see the tool, they're gonna ask you for it. That's why you have to name the buildings, because they're gonna ask you for each of those individual, but then the total cost section is gonna ask you to report across all of your uh, entities. And then again, the check and balance here will be that, in theory, the totals will add up to what you've reported for the individual locations. This comes from a hospital-based program, and uh, he's probably got several substations out there. So uh, they're going to look at each of them individually, but um, also as a collective unit at the end of the day. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, what we just talked about. Uh, and, the, and the thing about it is, is you may get a uh, request for one MPI this year. You may get a request for one or two MPIs next year. It all depends on how that random uh, stratified sample uh, dials up. Uh, in the selection process. So, you know, you may be doing this issue for one MPI, doing the other, but the totals 
as I understand it, will have to be reported each time you report on one of those MPIs. So they're going to ask you for that total, uh, and you're going to need to report it a couple different times. But again, it's going to be for that reporting period. So what you report this year may not be what you report next year because those totals will change based on the reporting period. Right. Thank you. Yep. And then Section 10 goes into equipment, consumables, and supply costs. So the first thing they're gonna ask you for capital expenditures, their guidance here uh, is a, in capitals are those equipment items that endure repeated use and typically are greater than $5,000 per unit. That's what they're uh, labeling as a capital expenditure. Um, again, depreciation, they're interested in that. Do you own or lease this equipment? And then moving from that, they're gonna look at capital versus consumables. And then we're gonna move into non-medical, things like office supplies, and they break out uniform costs as well. So a couple different, uh, very unique areas there. Uh, you know, your, your big ticket items, your less big ticket items, you own it, do you lease it? What are your consumables, your expendable supplies? What's not medical in nature? And then what are you paying for uniforms? Next, you're gonna report uh, what you pay for contracted services. What do you pay QMC? What are your accounting costs? Vehicle maintenance repair, dispatch and call center costs, facility maintenance, IT support. All of these you're gonna report by dollars and you're gonna report by percentage of total costs. And then other costs includes long laundry list. Yes, no. Do you have costs um, that are part of biohazard waste? That should be waste, not waste or too much typing. Biohazard waste removal. Um, here's where I talked about physician oversight, not medical direction, but oversight. QAQI. Is there any travel training expenses that you uh, incur? Subsidies, funds to other organizations, BOD trustee uh, honorariums, advertising. Miscellaneous, phone, trash, shredding, printing, fines, fees, taxes, insurances, all of that, you're going to have to do yes, no, and then um, label that. And that will come in then as part of your total costs. And then a grand category in Section 12 for total expenses, which will be a cross-check back and add up for the various others. And the, the really the final big area is going to be the revenue section. And here's where your um, billing company can help you. And so it's just going to ask you, do you have any billing revenue? Yes or no. Then they're going to ask you to report the numbers based on these source categories. Fee-for-service Medicare, Medicare Advantage, fee-for-service Medicaid, Medicaid Managed Care, TRICARE. Remember, this is a government thing, so they're weeding out a few government programs here. Veterans Administration, they're going to ask you to report on that separately. Commercial Insurance workers' compensation, and what is your self-pay? And that's including deductibles and co-insurance collections. So they're going to ask you, here's where we can help if, and I put a big if up here, you entrust us with all of your billing. If we have all the numbers, we'll be able to spit out a report for it. If you keep a certain subsection of your billing in-house, then you're going to have to marry those two data sources together with what we can pay or what we can report to you. Revenue continued, 
They're just going to ask you some questions. What's your billing frequency by pair type? Do you never bill these uh, sources? Sometimes, usually. What other additional revenue do you have coming in? Facility contracts, subcontracted membership fees, charitable donations, executive loans. You look at the list, investments, revenue, all kinds of different revenue sources. So this goes beyond what we can help you with from the billing company because we don't report on those. So anything that's not billing related, you'll have to segregate out, pull that out of your, your numbers. Grants, demonstration grants. Look at the different types of grants. You're gonna have to categorize those, not just a bucket for grants, congressional earmarks. And then for each category, yes or no, you do receive money. What's the dollars? What's the percents? And finally, uh, just to, uh, to round out our discussion, um, I suggest that you visit that CMS website regularly. I'd suggest weekly. Just take a look for anything new. The FAQs have been updated since December 4th. I anticipate we're gonna see an update soon. Also, uh, the American Ambulance Association just announced, for those of you that may be part of the SAVIC uh, buyers group, um, there is a cost collection grant available. You can apply for that on the AAA website, and it will only apply if you are a rural or super rural organization, and you must make application for those funds. And that would enable you to hire an outside consultant, potentially use the uh, AMBER tool, which we didn't talk about, but it's a, the companion tool we talked about in another webinar. That's a way of collecting and crunching data. Um, there is a fee for that, but the AAA is going to award a grant for that potentially and give you some outside assistance. So if you are part of the SAVIC group and you are rural or super rural, you may want to check that out because there may be funds out there to help you do all of this. And that, Gary, is a quick slice and dice of what we can expect uh, when we prepare to answer the questions that CMS want us to answer on that online tool. Thank you, Chuck. So I just wanted to clarify one thing. We went through this uh, in an hour session. I think I heard Chuck say earlier, we could have probably spent a half hour on each and every section. Um, I'm not sure who the shining star was that thinks, and I want to kill this uh, old wives tale that's out there. Uh, folks, for those of you that are thinking this is going to be three hours worth of work, uh, you can see just by the information that Chuck presented today, there's much more to it. Surely, from a billing standpoint, revenue standpoint, we're here to help you. But now is the time, as we've said time and time again on these cost data collection webinars, uh, to start working. So uh, I, I'm sorry for those of you that have heard me repeat myself time and time again, uh, but I do know that there's some folks out there who wait to the last minute. Um, I find myself doing this from time to time as well. So fair warning to all. So. Um, are there any other questions? Oh, we do have one more. Uh, got a couple here. Chuck, are you ready? Yep, you bet. Okay. Would a member would members of a community board of directors who are not responders or paid be included in volunteers? Good question. Yeah, it is a great question, and I believe the answer is yes. They're going to ask for the number of hours that those people spend uh, in that volunteer role. There may not be a dollar amount applied to that, obviously but they are looking for the number of volunteer hours that are part, and that would be reported in that uh, labor cost admin category. 
One more, Chuck. Was there clarification on how to report in how to report on indirect services for things that would be a cost to you, although you may not actually pay for them for that item currently? Would this be considered? Uh, let's see. Would this be considered a donation? Uh, for example, if your hospital has a medications restock program, or if your charting software is provided by your hospital. Actually, another good question. Yeah, there is uh, that is part of like the donation question. It would come in that um, in that uh, area with reporting supplies and services. Um, so they are looking for that. Um, if, if you dig into that section, um, we really didn't scratch the surface on that, but. That's a great question, and I say yes. Anything that has a potential cost to support your organization, whether or not you write a check or hand out a dollar bill for it, needs to be included. Uh, and again, folks, we're trying to paint the picture of how much it costs us to do this. So somewhere along the line, somebody's paying that bill, and it's supporting the ground ambulance mission in your community. So the answer to that would be yes, you do need to report it. Uh, about how you go back uh, about labeling those is, is really going to be situational uh, and it's going to be uh, based on how you read those questions and you um, digest where it falls in that reporting structure. But, but again, the general answer is absolutely. Okay. So Chuck, just for a point of clarification, uh, this, this individual is asking, so if hospital A donates uh, or provides me with my EPCR software. And if I was to purchase that myself, the annual cost per year would be just, let's throw this number out, $3,000. Should that be considered a $3,000 donation in my cost data collection reporting? Well, I, I think uh, it, I, it will differ as to whether the hospital owns you or whether the hospital is a separate entity. Yeah, so let's say it's a separate entity. If it's a separate entity, then I believe it probably falls in donation. Yeah. I'd have to look at the individual scenario, but that's how right off the top of my head. If the hospital is the ownership, then that would be a broader question about shared costs across across the organization. Good point. These are really great questions, folks, and feel free uh, to keep them coming. Uh, not so much today, but if you do have questions, you can always feel free to pose them to us uh, by either contacting me directly at the phone number given, 412-532-2392, or you can email client services at QuickBed Claims. I don't see any further questions. Chuck, do you have anything in closing? No. Hey, thanks, uh, folks, for spending time with us. Our, our goal here is just make you aware um, and together we'll get through this. Um, Gary, I can remember over my 20 year career, uh, so many of these projects that we fretted about, spent sleepless nights over as a former administrator myself, some of those things that make you lay awake. You know what guys, in the end, somehow we get through it. So yeah, together right. we'll do this as a team. Uh, we certainly at QuickMed are committed to helping you in any way we can, uh, providing guidance. So stay tuned. We'll give you as much information as we can try to help you get through this. And then a few years from now, we'll look back and say, what was that that we worried about? Um, like Y2K, it'll come, it'll go, and we'll still be here. So um, I'm excited to see what effect overall this has on what we do and how we do it. And hopefully someday we uh, can celebrate a nice boost in the Medicare fee schedule because we've done this right. Exactly. 
Well, thanks to everybody who joined us. We're actually doing two sessions today because we've had great response on both. So thank you. Uh, it makes us feel good, the fact that people are joining in on these sessions. Uh, you may know that we offer programs every month of all different types. If you're interested in looking or registering for any of our programs, please go to quickmedclaims.com backslash education, and they're all listed there. Register. We keep them coming. As long as you keep coming, we'll keep doing them, and uh, we're glad to do the legwork. Uh, Chuck, thanks to you. Thanks to our 40-plus folks who joined us today. Uh, Chuck, I'll see you in a couple hours for the 3 o'clock session. But to everybody, thank you so much. Have a great day, and hey, be, be safe, safe out, out there. there.